my shoulder. It's the truth. It's the truth. It's actual. It's actual. Everything, Everything is satisfaction. You are here today for flight training, the most thrilling experience that any astronaut candidate will ever have. And they rain. And rain. And rain. The deluge. My goodness, you're all staring at us. We better start the show rolling. Wait, wait. We forgot to wake up the Glee Club. W. everybody and welcome to the WDW radio show your Walt Disney World information station I am your host Lou Mangiello and this is show number 185 for the week of August 29th 2010 This week we're going to visit with the first real wizard to make his home in Central Florida as we step aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine and talk with Merlin from Disney's Sword in the Stone. Merlin crowned the temporary ruler of the realm for many years in Fantasyland, and we'll talk one-on-one with a truly magical man who played Merlin, Jim Corcus. He'll tell us about the show, what it was like to play Merlin, and we also get a chance to learn more about the man who is a real magician, Disney historian, and true storyteller. I'll give you the answers to the clues and announce the winner of our last Walt Disney World contest, have a few announcements, and then play more of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. So I'm standing here in the middle of Orlando and about to introduce you to a real wizard. And no, it's probably not the one that you're thinking of because I want you to meet somebody who's a real magician, a master storyteller, and a man who really was Merlin the Magician. You know him as the man who tells the stories behind the stories and once again, He's going to come back to tell us not only about stories of, of an attraction, really, that's no longer here, but his personal story as Merlin the Magician. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you once again the magic man himself, Mr. Jim Corcus. Well, thank you, Lou. It's always a joy to be invited uh, back. And I guess uh, the evil that men do live after them. The good is often teared with their bones. So... We're going to go back uh, to 1995 when I was uh, Merlin. Uh, Some of your listeners may not know that, yes, I'm a professional actor, but I'm also a uh, professional magician. And I I performed out in uh, California at places like the Variety Arts Theater and all of that. Did cruise ships, did comedy magic, even children's parties, heaven help me. So I never quite know what job I'm out of work from. Um, 
and so it, it's a joy to combine both Disney history and my love of uh, magic. And uh, maybe we should start by talking a little bit about the background of the show itself before we get into some personal memories. And let's talk about where we are, because you might hear the calliope music behind us, and that's clearly coming from, I was going to say, Cinderella's Golden Carousel, but from Prince Charming's now very regal carousel. But in the castle courtyard, directly in front, many guests, unfortunately, I think, walk by, but we're seeing many actually stopping to look at and try their hand at the large sword that's embedded into an anvil on top of a rock on which a plaque reads the sword in the stone. And uh, if you look very, very closely, you'll see the uh, inscription on there that reads, Whoso pulleth out this sword of the stone and anvil is rightwise ruler born of England. And obviously this references the sword and the stone, fil- sword and the stone film. And I think, Jim, a lot of people may not remember that in addition to just the animal that's sitting here, there was a show that took place here in the courtyard, a show that you were very much a part of. <laughs> well, that, that's true. Let's do, do a little history first. There was a 1963 animated film called uh, The Sword in the Stone, which was based on T.H. Uh, White's uh, book, and, and that was the story of Merlin, who was the advisor to young King Arthur, uh, teaching him everything that he would need to know to eventually become a great king. Um, a, the uh, character design um, uh, originated from uh, Bill Pete, who did the entire screenplay. And he decided to base his uh, version of Merlin on Walt Disney himself, because T.H. White describes Merlin as being argumentative and temperamental and intelligent and uh, a curmudgeon and a sense of humor. And uh, so it's sort of an inside joke. Uh, Bill Pete, a uh, great children's book uh, author and illustrator as well, designed Merlin to look like Walt. He said, I even stole Walt's nose and put it on, on Merlin there. Um, and what happened is uh, when the new Fantasyland opened in uh, Disneyland in California in 1983, they moved the carousel back, more or less... Uh, to where the uh, teacup ride had been, and they raised it up so, again, it would be more visible. And uh, I believe it was Tony Baxter who created a a little area uh, in front with a sword in the stone for a sword in the stone show. And so that began in the summer of uh, 1983 and was tremendously popular, where Merlin would come out and get volunteers from the audience, and they'd pull out uh, the stone. They they even had... um, the make-believe brass sometimes accompanying Merlin, so, you know, it was very, very elaborate. It took about 10 years for that show to come out to uh, uh, Walt Disney World. It started out here in 1993, and again, you'll find a lot of references that say 1994. Trust me, I was Merlin. I've talked with Merlins. There were Merlins who were getting paid in 1993 for doing Merlin, all right? Um friends of Merlin. They were friends of Merlin. Oh, and, and we'll get to that as well. And then here at in uh, Florida, the last show was uh, August 15th, uh, 2006. And of course, August 15th is my birthday, so all you listeners out there, send me those seized chocolate, uh, those digital photos of you in the Little Mermaid costume, you know, all of those things here. Uh, send them Carol Lou, so, so Lou can edit those before well, they get I'm going to stop and ask you a question now because I'll mm-hmm. forget it later because once again I have you standing mm-hmm. out in the hot Florida sun. So the film comes out in 1963. It's not until 1993 
that we get this in Walt Disney World. Why do you think they would have chosen, you know, obviously when Fantasyland mm-hmm. opens, they go back to all the classic films. You know, by 1993, Jim, there's other films that have, that have come around since Sword in a Stone, arguably probably not their most popular film. What do you think the choice was? Was it just trying to get something to, to tie into Fantasyland? Uh, I think at, at, at that time, uh, first off, uh, they were trying to duplicate the success of the show in California, which was 1983. And in 1983, there were an awful lot of Imagineers in the company who were familiar with the Disney classic films. And so for Fantasyland, wanted to tie it in with that traditional classic as opposed to the... the at that particular time, we weren't having many hits in animated films. And that uh, Merlin is such a classic uh, character and visually he's very striking all of that purple and and the high hat and the the whole bit and also the fact that since it wasn't well known you can play with the character a little bit you know it, it's not like uh, Belle where everybody knows every single word she has ever said even in the direct video sequels Merlin is oh yeah they had a character Merlin and all that so you can get away with uh, you know um, making him uh, a little less of a curmudgeon as he was in the film, a little less cranky. You can make him more humorous and, and ditzy. You can, you can have some fun with that. But, you know, one of the things you pointed out is, yes, I was not Merlin, because Merlin is his own person. He's a living, breathing character. I assisted in the portrayal of Merlin, or I was a friend of Merlin. That, that's how you are officially identified uh, at at uh, uh, Disney, you are not Merlin because a lot of people are assisting in the portrayal of Merlin, you know. And Merlin is his own self. You're just, you know, pretending to be Merlin. <laughs> uh, as uh, as uh, that happened there, so uh, yes, you know, we're, we're standing again out in the heat and humidity, you know. And you folks at home, you don't even. It doesn't make any difference to you, right? The sweat is rolling down our, our faces. The, the clothes are sticking to our bodies. Does this really make a difference to you? So we're out here, and not a moment has gone by that someone has not come to try to lift that sword, get their pictures taken. We've even had Peter Pan and Wendy out here uh, uh, playing with, with the sword. And, and those I, someones are kids who are five up to guys who are 55. Absolutely. So uh, it's, uh, it's a, a wonderful uh, uh, experience there. So, uh, but you wanted to talk about my personal experiences. Where would you like to start? Yeah, so now that we know a little bit about the show, we want to know more about Jim the person. We want to know about <laughs> the man behind the Merlin, as it uh, were. Uh, give us a little bit pre-Merlin days. Tell us what you were doing and how you eventually get to be cast as the role. Because we know you as the master storyteller, you know, debonair, debonair handsome, nice guy. How do you get to be a friend of Merlin? Okay, boy. I like that man behind the, the, the Merlin. I, I wish I had thought of that. Well, uh, I was a California boy. Grew up out in uh, Glendale, California. And um, at the beginning of uh, uh, 1995, I came out to Florida to take care of my um, parents who had some uh, health problems. Because I figured I could always get another job, but not another pair of uh, uh, parents. And um, 
uh, L.A. was just not a good place for them with the smog and the stress. And actually moving them out here to Florida gave them another 10 years and another 10 uh, happy years. So I started my Disney career out here at uh, Pleasure Island uh, doing magic and making balloon animals for drunk college students on Pleasure Island. (laughs) Make me a balloon ad with 50 balloons! You know, I have a master's degree in theater arts. <laughs> You're not making me happy. <laughs> so um, uh, I did that for a, a couple of months. And then in the summer... Of, people wonder why they closed Pleasure Island. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the thi- I could tell you stories about Pleasure Island. You know, the fact that you couldn't get to a restroom never stopped anybody. Um, so anyway, uh, the summer of 1995, they decided to do a pilot program here at the Magic Kingdom. Streetmosphere was very popular over at the then Disney MGM Studios. And so they were going to do a pilot program for the summer here. They were going to have a lamp seller in Adventureland. They were going to have a uh, space couple with uh, silver makeup over in uh, Tomorrowland, Betsy Ross over in uh, Liberty Square. And they were going to have a gold miner out in uh, Frontierland. So I was uh, Brash Victor Pat, an old gold miner. <laughs> by golly, come over here. And, and my gosh, here's my raccoon. So I had a raccoon puppet that moved and would go around people's necks and do all that. And I you were the dream pants. finder of the Old West. That's <laughs> absolutely right. <laughs> I had many, many experiences. And I'd pull people out and say, let's do a gold dance. <laughs> and, oh my gosh. And so, yes, I was in overalls and this big scraggly beard and uh, all of this. And then at the end of summer, uh, as sometimes happens, uh, some of the characters were highly successful. Some weren't. And um, the money was just not there. The money was there for the pilot program, but there was not the money to extend it. And so um, they had observed uh, my performing as Prospector Pat and really liked the interaction I had done with uh, guests and all of that. So uh, what happened at that point is uh, they asked me, they asked me to uh, come in and audition. Uh, anybody can audition. Uh, if you go to www.disneyauditions.com, you can see where the Disney auditions are happening you know, throughout the country. Um, there is a uh, rehearsal hall out on uh, Sherberth Road, which is right behind uh, Animal Kingdom, right where uh, they would say uh, Main Gate. And so I was brought in, and um, there were two uh, show directors, and they had given me uh, the script, and uh, actually one side, it's called a side, uh, and it took me through that and took me through a couple of improvisation uh, uh, exercises, and they said, well, we're very happy with Brash Victor Pat. <laughs> Can you do Merlin? And I said, oh, absolutely. They had said, could you drive a tank? Could you, you know, uh, you know, uh, shoot darts out of your nose? I would have said yes as well. And so what they were looking for was they were looking for a three-day Merlin. Merlin performs seven days a week. So the main Merlin would usually do four days, and then you would pull in a Merlin to do three days. And then you also have some backup Merlins uh, so that if somebody is sick or needs a day off or... Uh, they can come in and they know the show, they, they can do this. And so I was given a cassette tape, this is how old this was, this is 1995, a cassette tape that I was to listen to and a copy of the script to learn. And the cassette tape had all of the sound cues because the Merlin show had an awful lot of interaction 
with uh, the tech who would be playing sound cues. And the show itself runs about 15 to 20 minutes. Again, a lot of that depends upon uh, audience interaction, but basically 15 to 20 minutes. And then Merlin would have 15 to 20 to do uh, autographs. So you don't want it to go longer than 15 to 20 minutes, or Merlin gets no break uh, from the the hot uh, Florida sun. So um, fortunately, uh, having performed well at Disney, I was invited to come in. But in the past, uh, I've come in, and others have as well, and just done cold auditions for, for characters. And they also take a look at height. You have to be a certain height to be a certain character. And when you're a face character, and a face character is a character that's going to show his face or part of his face, uh, there's a committee that literally evaluates you to see if your facial structure uh, would match that character. So apparently I have a facial structure that would work for Merlin, and interestingly enough, would work for Santa Claus, (laughs) but would not work for a prince. I'm just going back, you know, the whole height requirement thing. I don't even know what character I would fit in. So, all right, so you you come in and you get the role as the, 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 you know, the Merlin on demand, the three-day Merlin. How do you go about, other than getting the script and learning the cues, does Jim, the, the, the thespian that he is, do you do any other preparation? Do you start watching Sword in the Stone over and over again and dressing like Merlin at home? Yes. And, and um, actually, just like uh, any performance, you're going to go through rehearsals. And there's a, uh, a show director. Uh, my show director was Chris Oyen, absolutely wonderful show director. Uh, he was one of the first show directors for the Adventurers Club and the Comedy Club. He still works for Disney uh, today. Some people think he's really tough. But, boy, I, I appreciated that, and I thought he was good. And, yes, there was a height requirement, but in my case, it's very interesting. The first rehearsal with Chris Oyen, he goes, yes, you're the right height. He says, you cannot gain one more pound. And I said, what? And he says, you cannot gain one more pound. I said, okay. He says, because Merlin's robes have to lay flat. And he says, if you get one more pound, it looks like you're going to be smuggling ham, and that can't happen. So Merlin did not gain uh, anything, And since the costume itself uh, weighed well over 40 pounds, and in this uh, heat and humidity, I sweat off a lot. So you had several rehearsals, and the rehearsals took place. Uh, there's a rehearsal hall here at the Magic Kingdom. It's actually behind Splash Mountain, and it's a huge stage. The stage is actually raised so that there's some give. Those of you who are dancers know that you don't dance on a hard floor. It's going to wreck out your knees. Uh, so there's some, so it's almost like a basketball court. There's some give, and um, there's colored tape on the floor, different colored tape, and the different colored tape actually marks out the different stages. So the smallest one was Merlin's, and you have the cassette tape, and so they play this cassette tape. They take you through that. Uh, Chris directs you in terms of this is this is the interaction that I want to have here. I want you to speed up here. Uh, I want you to pause here, this type of reaction, you know, whatever. And, of course, uh, I had um, a copy of the animated film, and so I'm listening to that, and so I'm trying to capture um, Merlin's voice. But you didn't do a very good job of it, did you? (laughs) Merlin, you'll come, I am Merlin, the great... Yes, yes, you'll be back here, uh, I'm sure, and, and talking with that. But, yes, so you had to match the voice because there are other Merlins out there as well. So um, just like you expect Alice in Wonderland to look the same and to sound the same, same thing with with Merlin. And so you went through several rehearsals. Then you go to get a costume fitting. 
because even though the Merlins are consistent and there is a height limit, there's a height range. And so uh, I was pretty close to the top of the height range. And so uh, the costume that they had for the full-day uh, Merlin, which was Eric Pinder, very talented and, and generous uh, uh, performer, uh, later, when the Merlin show was canceled, he moved over to Adventurers Club, and he did Graves, the Butler, and Otis Wren. Very, very, very talented fellow. So he was the full-day Merlin, and I was being brought in as the uh, three-day uh, Merlin. So you go through those rehearsals, you go through the costume fitting, um, and then what you do is you shadow Merlin for a day. So you see what is the routine backstage. You know, how do you do this? You see what is the routine on stage. And then during the breaks, you're trying to pick his mind, what works, what doesn't work. You know, I don't want to reinvent the wheel, you know. And, and what is the, the procedure? What is the policy? I don't want to step on people's toes. What is going on? Now, the real joy, of course, is that the final dress rehearsal, of course, has to be done here in the park. But as you can see... Uh, even though the Wizarding World of Harry Potter has opened and lots of people are there, there's still more than enough people here. So um, the dress rehearsals, and this is true of, of most shows, has to be done after the park closes. So Merlin's dress rehearsal was 2 a.m. in the morning. However, Merlin's call was midnight because I had to go through the props. I had to learn how to load up the bag. Um, uh, they would put the makeup on me for the first week, but I was expected to see what they were doing and learn that so I could put on the makeup for myself. And so, sure enough, 2 a.m., I'm trotted out here, and even though this is a 15-minute show, I did it from 2 a.m. until 8 o'clock in the morning. And I think Chris would have had me do it longer, but that's about time for the gates to open. So Merlin drags himself backstage, uh, you know, to, uh, to get out of that. Now, there's also uh, additional training because there's all sorts of other things that Merlin has, like doves. We had doves. So there was a um, set of dove cages out behind uh, the Magic Kingdom, actually where the entrance of the Utilidor is, for those who are cast members and know. And it's not there anymore because we don't use doves anymore. But there was one guy, delightful guy, I wish I could remember his name. He actually raced pigeons for, for a living. And he taught me how to handle a dove. And yes, you can fold the dove's head so it actually goes into its chest, you know, without breaking the dove. Because you had to fold up, you had, first off, you have to capture the dove. Even though it's in a cage, you put your hands in there, the dove's all over the place. What are you doing? What are you doing? Get out of here. And so you have to know how to grab it by the side, fold its head over, put it into Merlin's uh, um, carpet bag uh, to bring out here. And uh, then you had a huge number of, of uh, props. Uh, again, um, the break area, the, the dressing room, was behind where the dressing rooms are, the dressing room, the restrooms are of uh, Pinocchio's village house. So I would come running out with this little gold toy bugle, blowing it away, because, again, I've also got a uh, battery pack on and my, and my mic, and I have to run through uh, um, around Dumbo, run around the carousel. All of these people, who the heck is this? And, and then make it again here to the, the Sword and the Stone. And I'm also carrying this um, carpet bag, which is about three to four feet long. It's loaded up with things, including a dove that I don't want to hurt. 
uh, and he's got his own little black compartment in there. And uh, how I did this is beyond me. I, 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 sh I, sh I should have gone out for the Olympic weightlifting team. And, uh, and, and you know, you, you were told you weren't allowed to gain any weight. You did this in the summer. Describe the costume because I'm sure you probably, anything that you might have gained, you quickly lost. Absolutely. The costume, and I weighed it, was 40 pounds. It's uh, what you do, and most character performers, this is the same thing. Underneath, you've got uh, little black elastic shorts, and you've got a thin uh, uh, gray uh, T-shirt to capture all the sweat. Oftentimes, when you go off, you have to literally change out of those because they're just soaking wet. Uh, some characters actually get to have a headband that, that they wear that will capture the sweat. So on top of that, they put on this robe, which is, it, it's, <laughs> I guess they thought people were going to come up and touch the robe because it's a real robe. It's not, you know, something that you would do for a theatrical stage production. It's the actual material. And it's double-sided, too. So there's this blue silk interior and this, this purple, uh, and you're putting on tights. And uh, then you actually have these um, purple slippers that you put over your tennis shoes so they look like curved shoes. And you have to wear tights so in case somebody decides to lift up Merlin's robe, he's got tights. There's modesty there. Um, and then I also had to have a belt because there was this hourglass that weighed about 20 pounds, 15 to 20 pounds, and it had to be tied it went through a little slit in the purple robe and tied to a belt that you had on underneath. And so it's always dragging you on that side. And you're only using the hourglass at the beginning of the show to go, oh, I thought it was time to start. And at the end going, oh, I have to finish now. I'm going, can we go with a smaller hourglass? Can we have an hourglass in the, in the carpet bag that I can, I can pull out? And so in the carpet bag, you've got the dove. Uh, you've got a dousing rod, which is, which is uh, huge, where you're going to find the new temporary ruler of um, Fantasyland. You've got the certificate. You've got the medallion. Uh, you've got glitter. And the bag itself, uh, those of you who are magicians will know what this means. It's, it's like a silk-changing bag. So basically, when you open it up and you show it to the audience, there's nothing in there. And you close it up, and when you open it again, all sorts of things can come out. It's, it's a simple trick, and I'm not going to break the magician's code by revealing that, except to say no one was ever impressed when Merlin showed them an empty bag and then suddenly pulled things out. People just expect, well, this is Disney. Of course you'll be able to pull endless things out of this. And also in there was a thick rope, because you came out here, and there were people just like there are right now swarming around the sword, so you had to give the people standing in front a rope so you could block off a performance area, and then you had them step back so you've got a space there so everybody can see, but there's also an area where you can work with the volunteers. So tell us then about the show, because I think... Now, I remember some details of it, mostly the fact that I could never get picked for it, uh, but for those that maybe you know had a chance to see it or those that didn't get a chance to see it in its relatively short run, take us through... What the what the fifteen minute show would entail? Oh, oh dear! Oh, well, good King Arthur is on vacation, and so we need to find the new temporary royal ruler of Fantasyland. Now the responsibilities of this are so great, I shall be selecting several volunteers uh, throughout the day. So if you're selected, never fear; it's only a part-time job. <laughs> 
So it, basically, that's the story of Merlin is out here. Arthur's on vacation. You've got to find that. Now, nobody does these things alone. And uh, one of the people really helping me, and I never think they get enough uh, recognition, are the technical people. And my tech was actually on top of Sir Mickey's. I even, one, as part of my training, I climbed the ladder up there to see that he could barely see me. Uh, he had this electronics box, which is about the size of one of the trash cans here in Fantasyland. And he had a little um, patio umbrella and a folding chair. So if it rained, the show got canceled, not because they were worried about Merlin, not because they were worried about the costume. They were worried about the tech getting hit by lightning. And I would have been worried about that as well. So Merlin comes out, he sets that out, and he's got to find uh, the new temporary royal ruler of Fantasyland. And so the the audience is going to help because at uh, periodic times through the show, Merlin will point at them, and they'll have to say Alakazam in order for the magic to work. And so the first thing Merlin does is he pulls out... The royal ruler selecting bird. Oh, yes, yes. Which is the dove. And, of course, I had to be trained on that because when you pull out the dove, if you open your hands, you can't do it just like that because the dove will just sit there or the dove will jump on the, on the ground to hunt for French fries. So you have to toss it in such a way that the dove goes, wait a minute, it makes more sense for me to fly because it's further down than I thought. And so the dove would... Uh, He's searching, he's searching, he's looking, he's looking somewhere else. Yes, yes. So he headed off towards the castle and then circled back uh, to the homing pens behind uh, the Magic uh, Kingdom. Oh, he, he shall return, and, and don't worry, if he selects you and you rub your shoulder, you'll know it. <laughs> so um, then you pull out the dousing rod. And you go around and uh, you're searching in the audience uh, for that new temporary royal ruler. Now, the beginning of the Merlin script has all of these corny jokes. And it, the purpose of that, uh, Chris Oyen told me, because I said, Chris, I, I don't want to insult you, but I, I could probably come up with a couple of better lines. I've done some writing. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. Those are there so that you can determine two things. A, the person understands English, so they'll follow directions. And B, uh, if they're laughing and all that, then they're in that playful mood. And you should also look for an adult which is with a large family because they get a huge kick out of seeing, you know, that member of their family, the father or, or whatever, you know, get humiliated because that's the bottom line of a lot of the uh, amusement park shows is let's pull up someone and humiliate them. And that's enjoyable for everybody because they're not the ones being humiliated. So you pull up um, the uh, adult volunteer and you have him grasp hold of the sword to pull up. There's the elaborate fanfare and all of that. And, of course, he can't pull it up. And you go, oh, what's the, not eating your Wheaties? Uh, is he like this at home? Oh, oh dear, dear. Uh, oh, no. Uh, and so, um, of course, it's not going to come up because it's locked down. The tech has the control switch up there. And when he releases that, there's actually clamps there. The clamps will open. And the sword will uh, rise to a, literally what is relaxed position, which is about halfway up. It'll never come all the way out because you don't want somebody to pull a sword and be swinging it around in fantasy land. And then the problems of also resetting it. And then uh, Merlin looks at the um, dousing rod and he goes, oh, oh, 
good. Yeah, I had this set from Bodyguard, but we do need a bodyguard. Oh, so get it. Oh, yeah, pose over here and all this. And so now you're looking for a child. And so you try to look for a child in the front because you don't want someone stumbling through the crowd. You also want, since you're picking a young child, you want them to be able to have eye contact with their family. Um, and you don't want a child where um, the parents are pushing them forward because the child really doesn't want to go. Uh, at Six Flags Magic Mountain, I was Santa Claus. And one of the first things they gave me, a Santa, my Santa Claus costume, were these uh, leather tights. And I said, what? I said, Santa Claus wears this right. He says, put on the leather. Uh, okay. And I did. And I knew this within the first five minutes because I'm sitting there as Santa Claus. And this woman is sending this crying baby to me. And by the time it hits my lap, it has taken a biological break that has soaked through Santa's costume. So anyway, you don't want kids who are being pushed. You want kids who, you know, have that magic in their eyes or they look like you know, but again, sometimes you pick wrong. Sometimes they can be shy, and at which time you go, oh, oh, I made a mistake. I'm not reading this correctly. I'm terribly sorry, terribly sorry. I'll, I'll look over here. And um, I saw one Merlin one time go actually through four kids before he got a volunteer. But usually there's no problem. And you pull the, the, the kid up, and, uh, of course, the kid with the fanfare magically raises the sword. And you put uh, a, a red robe, a red robes in the carpet bag too, and a crown on top of them. Crowns in there as well. And then with the bodyguard, um, uh, <laughs> uh, the bodyguard following. And actually, you look at the bodyguard and you give him the red robe and say, "And you, sir, you have a train to catch." <laughs> so you parade around the. Uh, uh, the sword, and again, this has got to be timed because, again, the music is pre-recorded. You can't make it any longer. You've got to get back to a certain point by a certain time. And so, um, uh, at, at that particular point, uh, you you go, oh dear, it, it's taken so long to find you, your highness, that your your reign as temporary royal ruler of Fantasyland has ended. Oh, my sadness cannot... So you, ta you take the robe, you take the hat, and you go to the carpet bag, and you pull out uh, the medallion. And the medallion is about an inch and a half in diameter, has uh, Wart, the young King Arthur, pulling the sword out of the stone. Beautiful, beautiful medallion. And uh, a purple lanyard, and you put that around the kid's neck. And there's also a, a certificate, which has 34 Disney characters, including Nana the dog from... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Peter Pan and, and Flower from uh, Merlin's on there as well. But all these oddball characters, I later found out that this was a generic Disney certificate. They later used it in college international programs, not with the Merlin text. And so you give that and, you know, a big uh, round of, a, of applause and uh, you help them back down into the audience. You pull up the rope because as soon as the music ends, these people are going to be on top of you. So um, you're pulling up the rope, and you go, uh, oh, thank you, thank you, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, to make magic, uh, you've got to believe, and I have to be leaving. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. And so you, uh, and, and I will be back at approximately, because you never say a definite time, because if you're there at 103 rather than 1 o'clock, and sometimes there'd be technical problems, uh, sometimes you'd have to, you know, 
you start off with uh, seven doves, but some <laughs> sometimes a dove just doesn't want to go, so you've got to call for another dove. Um, so you pack everything back up in the uh, uh, carpet bag, and suddenly you're flooded by people who want your photo and want your autograph. And again, one of the things that you're told as a character is in every photograph, make sure both hands are always visible. You know, so that there's never any question, what is Merlin's hand doing behind that back? And so with Merlin, it was very good because you could always do your hands in, in a magical, you know, uh, as if you were creating a spell. Um, however, it did affect my ego because sometimes these kids had no idea who I was. They were just in line because here's a line of people getting an autograph. And some people uh, literally, you know, are you Father Time? Uh, are you the page master? And, and again, being a good Disney cast member, oh, no, 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 I'm Merlin, Merlin, the advisor to King Arthur, the great and powerful, yeah, yes, yes, yes. And so, you know, uh, you try to cut it off yourself by looking at the, the, the thing and, and saying, oh, I've got to go. But you could see it's heartbreaking to these kids. And the tech tries to help you out as well because he can do a voiceover that says, uh, uh, Merlin, Arthur needs you in the castle right now. Well, uh, I am certainly one of the dumbest guys in the entire world. You know, where the elevator goes all the way to the top, but the doors don't open. So um, my first week, sometimes I'd be out there and I'd see this long line, and, and the um, tech would be waving me on, and, and I'd go, oh, I, I, just, a, just a little longer. And but the smile on your face, I can tell this is the answer to my next question, which is, tell me one of the funniest stories of something that happened to you. <laughs> well, it basically, I st stayed out too long, and then I'd run back with only five minutes to reset the dub. But yes, this was, um, this is 1955, so, you know, I'm young and feisty, and since I'm in the Merlin costume, I've got my flat stomach. And um, this beautiful young lady uh, comes up. She's in her mid-twenties. She's a brunette. Uh, short hair. See, I can still visualize her today. Big eyes. Oh, right? And she comes up and she goes, oh, Merlin is my favorite character. And so I'm just up there melting, you know? Because no, Merlin is nobody's favorite character. And here, I, I, you know, and I understand how it is to have a favorite character. And she says, you know, I, I know that Merlin only picks, you know, adult males, you know, for the bodyguard and, and, and I'm much too old to, you know, be picked up as, as the child, but I just wanted to let you know how much, you know, Merlin means to me and I, I, I hope that, you know, someday I'll be able to find a medallion and all of that. Well, the medallions were strictly accounted for because those were pricey. Um, and, uh, but I was given two because one was a backup because sometimes unexpectedly you'll have a give kids the world kid show up and he can't do the sword in the stone but you you make him you know well you're going you're going to help you know over there concentrate and help him think about him pulling up the sword or uh, sometimes you run into a situation where there's a sibling who you didn't notice immediately and they are distraught loudly distraught that their brother or sister got this and and, and they didn't so Merlin had a little extra one, so, you know, the, the crowd is dissipating, and I'm starting to go, and she's starting to follow Merlin a little bit, and Merlin slips her a medallion. Merlin figuring that maybe Merlin will get a little lucky, you know? Uh, at, uh, you know, maybe it'll be a magical fantasy land for Merlin. And so, as I pointed out, right over there, 
by Snow White's scary adventures as I'm making the turn. She peels off, and there's her boyfriend leaning against the pole. <laughs> Greek god, abs, you know, perfect teeth, not a hair out of place. She puts the lanyard around his neck and gives him a kiss on the, on the cheek. And Merlin is grumbling all the way back to the break room where the tech is co- coaching me because the tech is held responsible for the medallions. And he says, Jim, everybody is allowed one. And I said, what do you mean? He says, I saw you got snookered. I saw you got taken. He says, it, it happens. Sometimes, sometimes it's a beautiful girl. Sometimes it's, it, it, it's, it's a little kid or, 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 or a grandmother or something like that. He says, but these things cost money. We've got to account for them. He says, you're not going to get reprimanded. You just get this talk. If it happens again, you're dead. However, he did allow me one more get-out-of-jail-free pass. Um, my dad uh, came out, and he uh, filmed me uh, doing Merlin. And, in fact, I've given you a copy of the tape, and since it was filmed by my dad and it's me, you have permission to uh, post it on your site if there's anybody interested. So if you're interested, talk to, talk to Lou, and you can see Jim Corcus as uh, the friend of Merlin. And so Dad filmed that, and because he, you know, he's bursting with pride, and uh, he stayed around as Mom and Dad usually did. They'd stay around for a couple of shows. You know, it wasn't enough to be tortured to see one show. So the second show, I pull him up as the bodyguard, and Dad is—it was just a, a an, an old ham. So he's just beaming. He, he's seen the show, so he knows how to respond. So he's he, he's doing all of this, and then at the end of the show. What I did is I, I gave, put a medallion around his neck as well. And, and I, I actually talked with the tech ahead of time. I said, my parents are coming out. If I pull up my dad, could I give him a medallion? And I got, I got it cleared, but I gave it to him. And uh, dad kept it. Dad, dad passed away uh, uh, five years ago. And on his desk, dad's like me. He, he just has all this clutter and saves everything because one day you're going to need these uh, uh, receipts from 1975, right? Um, so, uh, uh, but on his desk was the important stuff, the current bills and all that. And there was the certificate and there was the medallion. And there was actually a uh, photo of, uh, of dad and I because mom uh, took some pictures. Uh, she cut our head off in a couple of them, but, but she uh, took a picture of dad and I. And, and so that was uh, uh, a tremendous uh, memory. And, uh, you know, in fact, I think we can create that magical moment because I complained and said, you know, we, need, we can't give medallions to people, but we need to do something else. So I was, I was able as a souvenir to have a half dozen of these and I'm going to present one to Lou. We were given stickers. And these stickers uh, often ended up on the certificates, but the, the roll of stickers were there to give to kids or, or someone like that so we wouldn't have to give a medallion. And so, again, this is about an inch and a half in diameter. It says, temporary ruler of the realm, uh, Walt Disney World with the old-fashioned oh, yeah. D with, with that, and it's got the anvil, and it's got the, the crown, and it, it's got the sword there. And uh, I, I was able to get uh, six of these when I retired and moved over to, um, retired as Merlin and moved over as an animation instructor at the Disney Institute. Uh, so, Lou, for all you have done for Disney history, uh, for all you have done uh, for your listeners, I've, I've, I've seen the kindnesses 
that you've done t- for them when they when they show up uh, in the park. You, sir, are the new temporary royal ruler of Fantasyland. Oh, yes, yes. And you didn't even have to pull up the sword. Oh, oh, look at that. Look at that. There you go. It took me 35 years, but I finally am temporary ruler. If we weren't both so hot and sweaty, I'd give you a hug. Jim, that, that is awesome. And I will tell you that as we've been talking about doing this segment, as when I came to learn that you were Merlin, we talked about the, the, the lantern and the certificate. And I said, God, that, that is just such an awesome collectible I'd love to try and find one for Jim. And I can tell you, I have searched the interwebs, high and low, and auction sites, and collect. And although I found a photo of one, the front and back, I have yet to find one of these lanterns. And we know there's tens of thousands of them out there. Well, again, we were, we were um, talking about this in the air conditioning in Pinocchio Village House before we came out here. Um, with a nice, cool drink with ice. Uh, we were talking about the fact uh, that Merlin... Uh, even with shows going down because of weather or things like that, uh, would give out about 50 of these things a, a week. So that's 200 a month. That's, you know, uh, uh, close to uh, 2,500 a year. And the Merlin show out here was, it was for, what, about 12, 13 years. So there should be well over 25,000 of these out there somewhere. And I've also been told, but I haven't seen this, uh, is the one in um, Disneyland is different than the one we got out here in in Florida. Now I also know they uh, they do the show in uh, Disneyland Paris, and again they stop the show, but they they bring it back seasonally, and they also do the show in Hong Kong Disneyland. So I don't know if those are the same medallions or whatever. And I thought with the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, this would be a cool thing to bring it back because we were told the show was killed because it was gathering too large a crowd out here and it was interfering with the queue line for filler magic. But we can see that's absolutely not the case. I think the real reason, as it often is, is it came down to money. You had a, you had a character that only did that show. Uh, he, it wouldn't, uh, you know, transfer to the parade or uh, to some of those other things. And also you had a, a, a full-time tech who could then be used for the castle forecourt or whatever but you know one of the things that i love about disney and we've talked about this too are are just those little things you know those little shows i love the shows at 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 disney it I, i was in frontierland earlier today it breaks my heart there is no show in the diamond horseshoe in fact there was a little kid right in front of me pulling his mom and said look mom it says uh, diamond horse show there's a show right even in the name there's got to be a show and i'm in there and there's a self-playing organ on stage and it's like boy i loved the pecos bill show in there i i loved it in california i loved it out here i actually auditioned for the sam the bartender show out here it was almost sam the bartender but they were in the process of canceling that show so that would have been another story. So, And you answered, I guess, the question I would have asked, which is, look, like you, I love those kind of unannounced, interactive experiences. I remember my dad loved the Diamond Horseshoe. And you used to have to go and make reservations and then get a ticket in order, in order to go to see it in the afternoon or in the evening. And the cowboys that were on the roofs in Frontierland and those kind of things. I mean, look, people are gathering by this empty nondescript little sword in the middle of it. Those kind of things, I think, play so well here. And yes, you've got to pay an actor, and yes, you've got to pay a tech, but it adds so much more than just 
lining up for the Peter Pan or the Captain Hook or the Winnie the Pooh meet and greet because it gives the guests a chance to be a part of the show. That's why I like the Celebrated Dream Come True Parade and some of these other things and the street mystery characters that make you part of this 3D story that we're all immersed in. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And again, they don't have to bring back the show. If that was too pricey, you know, Streetmosphere, my folks loved it over at, at Disneyland. And actually, uh, my brother was Kid Rawhide in Streetmosphere out there. I, he, it was so funny and great. So you wouldn't have to do the full Merlin show if you just even had Merlin out here by the Sword and the Stone as a photo opportunity and just doing some of that improv interacting with the guests here. You know, oh, stand over here and say, and now we'll try it. Oh, this didn't work. This didn't work at all. All right, well, we'll try this. We'll try this. You know, I, I think it would add. But what is happening is when they take a look at the bottom line, what can we cut? What can, what can we cut? And And I know that... It is a business. You're not selling Merlin plush over at Sir Mickey's. You know, but... Although I think the Jim Corcus plushes would fly off the shelves. <laughs> well, you d- described me at one time as a Muppet, and I, I'm, I'm certainly close to that. Uh, and Merlin has put on a pound or two since 1995. But, um, you know, I, I think it's those extras that make the difference. And it's the thing that made Disney different. You know, uh, Walt got complaints, uh, even within the uh, first year that Disneyland was open, that, well, they're charging you to get in, and then they're charging you for each ride and all this. And Walt says, what are they talking about? All they have to do is pay admission, and a lot of that just goes to, to taxes as well. And he even had it on the, on the ticket, so you saw how much went to taxes. He, he, it wasn't going to Walt. And he says, and you've got clean bathrooms, and you can listen to my band, and you can see this, and you can go, and all of these things are free. You don't have to go on any of these rides. You can enjoy the day at Disneyland. And um, I think now, unfortunately, we've really gotten to the point where people are associating Disneyland with just the attraction, you know. And I, I'm sure that as many people as we see on the carousel, many more rush by because it's like, well, we've got to get on Haunted Mansion. We've got to get on uh, Splash Mountain, you know, because that's the attraction and that's, that proves that we got value for our money and proves we were at, at Disneyland. Um, I just love coming and, and looking and, and watching, just looking at the castle right now. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and I've talked on the show at length. That my, a letter that I wrote in Celebration Magazine was specifically about how Walt Disney World, for many of it, look, I firmly believe in slowing down and not rushing to get a fast pass and rushing here and trying to cram as many attractions in because there is so much more to the experience than that. You should slow down. And for us, this is our park. This is where we come to be with friends. This is where we come to just people watch and enjoy the ambiance or listen to the music and and have something to eat, whatever it is. And I think these kind of things, these unexpected surprises are great opportunities to create memories, great opportunities for, for photos and things like that, and there should be more of those uh, around. Again, Streetmosphere. And look, they've got a built-in Merlin. They're not even training. You've got the <laughs> oh, Yes, still yes. I, I'm still here. I'm still available. And Prospector Pat as well. <laughs> By golly. Oh, yes, yes. And any other character you'd like. Yes, I, I, I used to do voiceovers out in California as well. But I, I think having characters to interact with is part of the experience because I don't see guests interacting with uh, 
uh, the merchandise hosts or with the, I don't even see them interacting with uh, maintenance and they used to do that as, as well you know and sometimes that is the one thing you remember you know Merlin, I mean, the only thing is, right now, Merlin might have to wear a sign for a while that says, I'm not Dumbledore. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and that's, uh, well, at, at this particular point, I'd also have to wear a, a sign that says, I'm not smuggling a ham. <laughs> and this will be gone in a couple of weeks, thanks to the costume and the heat and the humidity. But, uh, yes, so um, a, a wonderful moment. And, and, yes, things evolve, things change. I'm just sorry that a lot of live-action venues like the Adventurers Club and all that brought so much joy, so many memories uh, to people, you know, but how do you account for that on an accounting book? You know, how, how do you measure that? And uh, it's going to take someone with vision to, to come back and say, you know, just this, because there are plenty of talented performers out here in Orlando, M- more talented performers than there are, you know, opportunities uh, for them and so it's going to take a visionary to say you know this made a difference to me when I was younger this made a difference to my parents even if it's only going to affect 60 people an hour or whatever it's going to make that word of mouth is going to go and do that and and Lou as always thank you so much for having me on and uh, taking me back down uh, uh, memory lane sometime we'll have to talk about my experiences as a animation instructor over the Disney Institute. A lot of good stories uh, uh, there. In fact, a lot of good stories about meeting celebrities and Michael Eisner and all that. But Merlin, wonderful uh, thing. I wish I was doing it uh, today, even in the heat and humidity. And if I hadn't have gotten the job at Disney Institute, I, I would have been doing it for years, just like I think Eric did it for another five years there. So, so much the better. Well, I, I certainly invite listeners who remember the Merlin Show to come to the show notes for this week at WDWRadio.com. Post some of your memories. Post your thoughts about even Merlin returning as Merlin or these sort of interactive character and streetmosphere experiences in the parks. And look, when you talk about value, Jim, you know, a one-day ticket to the park, $75, a Dole Whip, $3.95, Jim Corcus. <laughs> Priceless and uh, yes, and and if you're that brunette who's probably a grandmother by now, you can send back that medallion, care of Lou, and and that will be good karma. That will be good karma. To, trust me, Merlin will will say thank you for that. I will admit, Merlin, I would have sent my wife to try and get me because I knew we wouldn't have given one to me. And and your wife is, is so attractive, uh, she wouldn't have even had to work as hard as the other one. I uh, did. And, and again, you know, if, if I had seen a, a, a kid who, who was heartbroken, I would have done that. Or if I had seen, you know, a grandparent who, you know, that would have brought joy to their face. But again, I was coached. These things cost money, Jim. Don't do that. Which is why I'm glad we got the stickers so we could do that. Well, for just one moment of one day, you were a temporary sucker of the realm. But for the rest, <laughs> you were a man that continues to bring magic to so many people with the things you did in the parks and backstage and now sharing all these great stories. So thanks as always. Oh, oh yes, yes. And, and, and keep buying all of Lou's CDs <laughs> and books, you know, so, th- so that he can afford to buy me lunch to, to bring me out and, and, and do this. And you have a magical day. <laughs> Thank you.
It's time to announce the answers and winner of our last Walt Disney World contest. This time, instead of asking you to identify the answers to trivia questions, I instead asked you to identify the sounds that I played at the beginning of show 183 when I tune the radio dial and we pick up different sounds and quotes and music from around Walt Disney World. I asked you to identify those six in order in order to win the WDW Radio prize package and the bonus prize, which I didn't identify at the time. So first, let's play the sound clips one more time, and then I'll identify what they were in order. Hiya, folks! How you doing? Don't worry, your old buddy Timon is here. The show can begin. This is going to be a whole new television experience. We're going to put you in the middle of the action, live. You're going to see and hear everything the talent sees and hears, as though you were right there with him when it happens. Nature photography, or photography of any nature, is not permitted. You know, I mean, I'm an expert on a lot of things. You know that. I know that. But uh, not a lot of things. A few things. When my work piles up and I'll see in red, cause I need five arms and an extra head, I find the computer becomes me troubleshooter. Yes, folks, we only have high-class stuff on this show. And now, here's a special treat out of Tampa. A little bit of ever-loving, cuddlesome fluff. Our own. So those must not have been very hard because practically all of you got them correct. And there were many, many entries that came in over the past two weeks. The first, as you probably recognize, is Timon from Festival of the Lion King show over at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Number two, you may not have been there in some time, but that was actually from Sounds Dangerous over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Number three was the pre-show area of It's Tough to Be a Bug also at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Number four, we jumped over to Epcot and Ellen's Energy Adventure. Number five was a little trip aboard the Wayback Machine also at Epcot Center That was Ken Jennings singing in the Astuter Computer Review, the computer song. And number six was over in the Magic Kingdom. That was Henry, your host of the Country Bear Jamboree. And so we got a lot of entries in the past couple of weeks, and like 99.9% of them were correct. So congratulations to everybody. I took all the correct answers, put them into the virtual hat, and randomly selected the winner, who is David Kazmarek. From Poland, like Poland, the country, not the springs. So, David, congratulations. Please send me your address and I will get your prize package out to you, which includes the three audio guides to Walt Disney World, a copy of my Walt Disney World trivia book, and a Disney gift card. That was the bonus prize this week, a Disney gift card worth $25. So you can use it if you come out to the parks. You can also use it at the DisneyStore.com. Again, thanks to everybody who played. Stay tuned for another contest coming very, very soon. And don't forget to also send me your name and your phone number for a chance for me to call you and play Listener Fact or Fiction. And you, too, can come on the air for a chance to answer some true or false trivia questions about Walt Disney World and win some prizes along the way. Thanks again for playing. That's going to do it for this week's show. Hope you enjoyed our discussion with Jim Corcus. 
learned not only about the Merlin show in Fantasyland, but more about Jim himself, the man who tells the stories behind the stories, not just here on the show, but also in Celebrations Magazine, which you can pick up over at celebrationspress.com. To see Jim in person, and I highly recommend that you do, come to the Congaloosh 2010 event, October 8th through the 10th. That's a weekend-long event kicking off with Jim's tour in Disney's Hollywood Studios. I'll be giving tours as well. There's a dinner and a show by the Adventurers Club cast on the stage of the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular and so much more. For more information, visit the link over at DisneyMeets.com where you'll find more information not just about Congaloosh, but our Destination D get-together for September 24th and 25th in Disneyland, including our World of Color dessert party and private viewing area, the food and wine walkabout on Friday, October 1st, the meet of the month, October 2nd, and during the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival, because it is always about the food, the Swan and Dolphin is also having their first annual Food and Wine Classic the weekend of October 8th through the 9th. It's a festival with live music, tastings from some of the hotel's award-winning restaurants and lounges, like Todd English's Blue Zoo, Pick Your Own Filet from Shula Steakhouse, Pasta from Il Molino, lots, lots more. I'll put a link in this week's show notes to where you can get more information about the Swan and Dolphin Food and Wine Classic. All those can be found, again, over at DisneyMeets.com. Speaking of which, I have to say big, big thanks to everybody over at Disney's Fairytale Wedding Pavilion. We had uh, the open house, which we broadcast live over at WDWRadioLive.com. I want to thank all the cast members there, as well as everybody who came out in person to be part of the open house and everybody who watched live in the box. I appreciate you taking your time on a Saturday to come out and hopefully got something out of being able to attend the open house virtually if you weren't able to be there in person. Also, thanks to everybody who came out to the Sunshine Seasons Food Fair on Sunday for the meat of the month. Really had a great time getting to make and meet so many new friends. And I appreciate, again, you guys taking your time out of your day or out of your vacation to come by and say hi. Stay tuned to DisneyMeets.com as well as Twitter.com slash Lou and Facebook.com slash WDW Radio for more information about the next Meet of the Month in September and then other dates going forward. If you enjoyed our talk with Jim Corcus today, and I hope you did, Go back to the show archives, either on the website, if you click on podcasts in the navigation bar, or at iTunes. All of the older episodes of WDW Radio are there for you. Jim has been on the show many, many times before. There's also plenty of other discussions about Walt Disney World history and secrets and fun facts, visits on the Wayback Machine, interviews, and so, so much more. Again, all those episodes going back to number one are available right there on the site or through iTunes. I'll also answer your questions, so if you email me at lou at wdwradio.com, on the, on the air I'll answer questions about everything from vacation planning to history, trivia, just about anything. If you want a chance to play Listener Factor Fiction for a chance for me to call you, ask you 10 true or false trivia questions about Walt Disney World for a chance to win some prizes, you can email me at factorfiction at wdwradio.com. Be sure and include your phone number. You never know when I might randomly draw a name from the virtual hat and possibly give you a call for a chance to be on the air and play. And in addition to the show, don't forget to please come by WDWRadio.com. There's lots more going on there. 
including videos, blog posts, articles, our free, very, very friendly and welcoming online discussion forums, our free online newsletter, and so, so much more. You'll also find links to all the different ways you can connect with me and the show through Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, as well as subscribe to the show easily over at iTunes and download the free WDW Radio iPhone app. There's also a link there to Celebrations Magazine, which is at celebrationspress.com. That's our bi-monthly magazine celebrating everything about Walt Disney World and the Disney Company. For more information, back issues, or to subscribe, again, you can visit celebrationspress.com. While you're on the site, you can also order signed copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books, as well as my audio guides to Walt Disney World on CD or instantly downloadable files. I'm going to have a release date for the next audio guide, which is going to be Liberty Square, coming probably in the next few days or weeks. So again, in addition to the show, the best way to get the most instant updates is to follow me on Twitter or join the WDW Radio page over on Facebook. There is a lot more that I'm working on and a lot more coming beyond just the show and new videos and the Liberty Square audio guide. So definitely, definitely stay tuned. That's going to do it for this show. Thank you again for taking the time out of your week to sit and listen to the show and for everybody that came by virtually in the box or in person this past weekend at the Disney Wedding Open House or at the Meet of the Month. I really, really do appreciate it. As always, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share the link on Facebook and please come by, review the show and or the iPhone app over in iTunes. And of course, my friends, Take the time to pursue your passion and follow your dreams because life is too short. And once you do, always, always keep moving forward. Thanks again. Have a great week, everybody. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Lauren calling from Maryland. Uh, Just wanted to let you know that my husband and I are huge fans of your show, as we've been huge fans of Disney all our lives. We just took a quick last-minute trip down um, two weeks ago to catch the end of Summer Night Tastic, which was awesome. And uh, looking forward to a trip we'd already had planned for a while in November, staying at the Wilderness Lodge. So please, please, please have a meet of the month sometime between November 7th through the 17th, because we'd love to meet you and hang out. All right, thanks for all you do, Lou. We love you. Bye. Hey, Lou, it's Danielle from Arizona, from Phoenix, Arizona. I just wanted to call and let everybody know that I have officially applied for the professional internship at Walt Disney World. I am so excited. I am so ready and hoping to be back down there, hopefully, in 2011. I did the CP in 2008, and I feel like I've left my heart in Florida. I can't wait to um, get it back over there with the mouse. I'm just super excited, and I wanted to let people know. All right, guys, have a great day and have a magical one, too. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Lou. It's Darlene from Buffalo, New York. I just wanted to call in because I'm so excited. I've hit the 180-day mark before the cruise. So when we end up in WDW, I am so thrilled. I cannot wait for the cruise and for our trip. Um, We just celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary, and that is what we are going to roll into WDW celebrating. Um, I hope you have a wonderful, magical day. It's Friday. And the sun is shining, and the weather is supposed to be beautiful today here in Buffalo, New York. Um, talk to you soon. Can't wait to see everybody on the cruise. Bye.
Hey, what's up, Lou? It's John from Atlanta calling. Also, want to let you know we're uh, in the works right now, planning a vacation to come down probably in uh, late November. Uh, staying at the Adam Beach Club, you know, boardwalk and everything. Um, loved the last top ten segment with you and Tim. Bought a Liberty score and everything. Um, I would probably say definitely am, if it was my top ten, you'd probably have to definitely throw the Haunted Mansion in. It's probably one of the most extreme awesome attractions in Liberty Square. But um, so yeah, hope to uh, get to meet you someday and um, you know maybe we can have lunch. You know while I'm down there, you know maybe take a spill or something. You know go get an Angus uh, burger or something or um, you know meet for sandwiches over at uh, Earl Sandwich at Downtown Disney and. Uh, you know, get that iced coffee and everything. But uh, I just love what everything you do, Lou, and uh, keep it the good work. You know, you inspire us to uh, chase our dreams and everything. And um, love the trivia books. Love everything else that you do for us. And I just want to say thank you. Um, take care, guys. See ya. Hey, Lou, this is Brian Rainey from Kansas City, Missouri. And just want to say hello from Disneyland in California. Uh, did Captain EO today. And since I am Michael Jackson's biggest fan, I really enjoyed it. And I uh, just got off soaring over California, and we are waiting for World of Color, and I can't wait to see that because I've never seen it before. But I just want to say greetings from Disneyland. See ya.